Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's webinar from Corel Draw. It's our great pleasure today to be talking about design and to be talking about how we explore the design process, smart manufacturing for customized apparel. The apparel industry is in flux. It's challenged by decades of growth and little investment in new technology. The industry now faces an uphill battle to rationalize the supply chain and adapt to a radical shift in consumers buying behavior. And we all have a part in that process, however small or however large. Now, the current business model for the fashion industry in particular is, is broken. It's unsustainable and to succeed, the fashion industry must improve and must move forward to a more sustainable footing. It must evolve and it must adapt. Now, as designers, we're all in the room and we're right at the very beginning of that journey. And we have an incredibly powerful position and uh, you know, a real voice for change. We can do so, so, so much if we adapt the right technologies, remain innovative and inform our own communities around us to make the ver some very, very simple changes, which we'll talk about today. So in the webinar today, we're going to look at the present with our experts. We're going to discuss the current state of fashion how products are created and how are we designing for, for products? Are we being circular? Where is the waste? What time are we wasting? We're wasting creativity, we're wasting materials. So we're going to discover what we can learn from the past to ensure that the future of fashion production is viable and environmentally sustainable. First of all, I'm going to introduce you to our expert panels that have joined, that have kindly agreed to join us for today. Um, we have Erica Horn from Cab for Fashion. We have Guy Olroy from Early Vision, and we have Kirby Best from BNC Fashion Manufacturing. So I'm going to hand the floor over to ladies first, I think. Erica, would you be so kind as to give us an introduction to CAD4 Fashion and your company, please? Yeah, so um, I started my career um, as a designer. I realised very quickly how little I knew about the software that was supposed to help me. I realized how much the software could help me if I used it correctly, and also realized how many of the designers were in the same boat as me. So that started my little quest with Cab for Fashion to educate designers, to empower them to use the software in a way that actually helps rather than becomes a hindrance of problems and tools that they don't quite understand. Um, so at the moment we work with uh, design teams all around the world, we work with individuals um, from students, graduates, freelancers, career movers, um, and we help them whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's on a webinar basis, or whether it's in small groups to get to grips with the software and like I said, really help them to thrive using the software. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Really value you joining our panel. Guy, could you give us an introduction to yourself, your career path perhaps, and also your company, Early Vision? That would be great to hear. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting us. Um, so I'm uh, working for Early Vision. Uh, my background in most of my career was in the 3D domain, uh, in solid modeling and in the past uh, seven, uh, eight years uh, in the cloth uh, simulation closer to the fabric, to the soft materials uh, in uh, 3D. Uh, throughout this process, I worked with many brands uh, from uh, Under Armour to uh, 
the Gap uh, companies, uh, small and large, and, and we run into this problem and the wish to work uh, on demand, and that was the basis uh, for starting Early Vision. Today, what we are doing at Early Vision is a workflow system that serves from one hand, the micro factory owners, so the ability to capture design from consumers or from designers uh, online, um, uh, from design in the browser or design in, in uh, professional tools like uh, CorelPro, uh, all the way to nested print, cut, and, uh, and so uh, uh, operations, which uh, means uh, nesting different uh, orders together and uh, optimizing uh, the handling of uh, malfunctions on the shop floor and stuff uh, like that. That's great, Guy. Thank you so much. Kirby. <laughs> Debbie, thank you very much for having us. Um, you know, great seminar and wonderful topic. Uh, so my background, I really came out of the book industry and um, was the guy behind creating the team that um, developed on-demand book manufacturing. And although it's a, a very dull topic, um, I think people would be shocked to find that about 65% of all books today are produced on demand. And if you think 25 years ago it didn't exist, you know, it's quite a radical switch. And um, what it's done is is open up a whole new way to think about manufacturing. So we took some of those ideas and um, we brought them into the fashion world uh, to um, um, uh, really, we were hoping to address a lot of the um, environmental issues that the waste has created. And since then, we've we've kind of realized that we can offer some unique uh, strategies such as sizing, um, you know, we can go made to measure or micro sizes and things like that. So uh, that's how I came to this industry and I've been in it, I guess, uh, 10 times, uh, 10 years full time. And um, I, I had an earlier stint in the sports world uh, 30 years ago, which, which has really kind of influenced my thinking. Anyway, that's so I, I bring two things today, just I'm wearing two hats. The first hat is the BMC manufacturing, and the second hat is the iCreate.fashion, which was to help designers and um, brands uh, structure their data for um, automatic reading, reading by uh, machines uh, um, in the new manufacturing plants. So. Okay, so you have an incredibly, a credible um, broad church of experience there, don't you? <laughs> Thank you, yeah. You do, and, it, and it's so, so, so important. It really, really is. Um, okay, so let's, let's, as a panel, the three of us then, let's discuss how are most apparel garments currently manufactured? Now, we know that print-on-demand is going to be a huge, huge, huge part. It's a part of the present. It's going to be an even bigger part of the future. As Kirby's made the analogy to the book industry, we're only at the very, very beginning of this journey. But I think, you know, um, as, as industry practitioners, the four of us quite often take for granted the knowledge that we have at our fingertips, really. And I think it's really important that we share what we know with the audience today, really. So. Guy, perhaps you could tell us, um, how are most apparel garments currently manufactured? So the, the traditional uh, brand uh, development process uh, starts from an idea that comes from the, from the design uh, side, but then breaks into developing fabric, developing the pattern, 
and and evolving into a final uh, uh, garment. A process that we've seen uh, companies uh, uh, taking months to uh, to complete. Uh, from uh, from capacity and from the production side of things, this whole traditional process means that you must work in large volumes. You cannot order dozens even, not to mention uh, singles. And, uh, and uh, as a result, uh, companies are uh, planning that uh, demand very, very carefully. Over the past few years, you saw with uh, Zara and H&M a different approach of creating smaller, uh, smaller uh, collections and uh, availability of a collection is very limited. Sometimes you see uh, an item for two weeks and it simply disappears because the planning was uh, accordingly. Uh, I think that with on-demand, we can address some of these uh, challenges. Uh, but yes, most of the companies uh, today that don't work on-demand, especially the larger brands, large volumes, very lengthy process. And Kirby, would you, would you agree that, that within that um, supply chain for mass manufacturing we're talking about right now, that so much of it is operated in silos and there's not much communication between each? Would you agree? How, how would you describe the current um, supply chain for mass-produced apparel? Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, we watch this in the industry, as many industries are very siloed, where um, individual groups don't pass on information well um, in both directions. And I think people are shocked when I say information not only has to flow one way, but it has to flow back for the learning process. So today's industry, I think, is changing. I mean, I am um, absolutely delighted that uh, so many of the big brands are coming to us and asking good questions, really not silly questions anymore, but um, they're starting to understand the impact. Um, our biggest hurdle that we see is that, and I'll come back to the silo, is that they get stuck on the price per unit and mm -hmm. not stuck, we say it's not the price per unit, it's the price per unit sold that counts. And this comes yes. back to the silos. If they're just looking at their manufacturing cost as one silo and not looking at their transportation costs, their inventory costs, their warehousing costs, their shipping costs, their time costs, their costs of money, all those different silos, if, if they're not really well looked at, um, it, it's very misleading. And I, th I think I have trouble convincing a lot of people that, yeah, your cost per unit might be twice as expensive in on-demand, but when you don't have those 10 other downstream costs, really is less expensive. And, um, and the waste, I mean, we're finding um, in the on-demand world that the waste is so significantly less that it's, it's just something they have to look at. It's interesting, isn't it? I was at an event this weekend, actually, that described the margin for a typical fashion garment to be loaded by 75% to allow for end-of-sale markdown or returns, which is quite astounding, isn't it? Which is why we're all in the room today, because it's so interesting. So let's talk to Erica about design, because surely if we design the right garment right at the very beginning that is in tune to what the customer actually wants, we can absolutely just turn that, turn those margins on their head, Kobe, can't we, and start to cost for apparel in a completely different format. Right. 
and Erica, how are designers, how are design studios and brands functioning right now? Um, one of the things I realized going into the industry was how that we have a lot of brands who are quite forward thinking, early adapters, but the majority of the industry still work in very um, a very non-technology-based <laughs> way, um, mm -hmm. sampling rather than designing. Um, so the way I sort of saw things coming into the industry was, why am I going to pattern cut and get fabrics for and get the machinist working on 20 plus samples for four options that are available in the hopes of getting the, getting the right garment in? And the way I saw it happening was if we can visualize those digitally first and really tweak the colorways, tweak the balance of the collection and test it with the audience if you can as well. So I work with a lot of startup brands and this is what I say to them. Nowadays, they want to be part of the process of starting mm -hmm. a brand. They want to be able to have a say on the, um, the designs. So if you can have good quality visualizations, which is where Guy comes in really well as well, you've got good quality visualizations, you can test the market, you can refine your ideas until they are perfect, until you know that they are going to sell before you even start to cut a piece of cloth or waste any sort of physical resources. So would you say that perhaps, you know, 60, 65% of the industry is still working to, um, to patterns that are digital and then to print and then to make actual samples for the selection process, maybe five or six iterations of each sample across all sizes, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that works being done partly by CAD, partly not. Yeah, so I'd love to know the actual figures from, but from the, the teams that I work with, the, the places I've worked, places my peers have worked, um, our learners have worked. Um, in the UK particularly, our biggest hub for fashion still predominantly go straight to sample. They go straight to sample every single time because for them it's quick and easy. However, there is a lot that goes into that quick and easiness that, that is a waste, basically. So um, in, in, in whole, we still have a huge amount of sampling that happens throughout the process. So it might be that they want to see it in a multiple colour waves for the walk around at the, the retailers. Um, it might be that they want to have six backups just in case they don't like the four that are out on the, the range plan that are just being selected to go to production. Um, and once it is selected, we then have the pre-production sample. We have first, second bit sample. We have proto sample. And it just becomes a huge... So we used to have sample sales three, four times a year and still be surrounded by them constantly. So that's just one very small company. So I can, without knowing the actual figures, I can only imagine the scale of half. Those would be... And those would be simple iterations from one pattern, one block, but perhaps with a different print. So you, they're reinventing the wheel. They've already done it before lots and lots and lots of times. Absolutely. Um, so I was a, a occasion where girls' prom dresses, if, if I did a beautiful illustration and dropped the print in a couple of times, they're more than happy to pick from those. But with my team at that stage, I was the only one that had the skills to be able to do that. 
Okay, so it comes back to design again, not having the correct skills. Um, Sebastian, this is a really um, good time for our first poll, actually. Perhaps we could just do that and then we can tailor our conversation to the audience too. So if everybody could please um, answer, the, answer the question for our poll, which should pop up on the screen any time now. So do you currently use CAD for the creation of apparel garments? Please select one of the following, never, occasionally, or always. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There's your answer. So we weren't so far off the mark, were we? So currently people are not using 50, 52% never, 24% occasionally, and 24% always. So we clearly have a long way to go, don't we, team? <clears throat> Definitely. From basic um, costumes based on old styles and illustrations, I was able to, to sell designs. They were happy to buy them. And that was just 2D CAD done well, basically. So mm -hmm. when we look to 3D CAD, that just changes the whole game. And there's kind of no excuse <laughs> to not jump on board with that um, going forward. Obviously, there's a lot involved in a company making those big changes. But in my opinion, um, yeah, it's a no brain. There is, there is a lot involved, though, isn't there? Kirby, what do you think is holding the industry back from the change it knows it needs to make? Ooh, I think uh, the dedication to that's the way we've always done it uh, attitude is yeah. the killer. But Debbie, you know I love to stir the pot a little bit, so let me put out a controversial statement. I'd like to get rid of all samples altogether. Um, I think what's happening in 3D vision and, and what we're doing CAD-wise is spectacular. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of curb my remarks a little bit uh, because a lot of people want to kill me when they say no samples. But we think that if you set up your product and you run it through our on-demand system and you order one and see how it comes out, uh, that becomes your sample. But it's not a I'm going to say a sample sample that has been done by a specialty shop that can manipulate this and manipulate that. This is a true production sample. So what you see is what you're going to get when it goes full-time production. Try that out on a few customers and you know you can order one at a time or 20, whatever you need. Try them out and then when you're ready, go, okay, I'm ready to launch full-time and eliminate that whole uh, going to a specialty store, uh, a specialty shop to do a sample and then put it into production. And the production people are kind of lost on, did the sample house um, um, get all of their information back into the tech pack for the production house to follow? And we see that happen all the time is that the sample house has tweaked it here and tweaked it there and done a beautiful job, but uh, those instructions don't come back and they don't come to us as structured data. So it, it becomes a lot harder for the manufacturer to follow that. So a little controversial to try and get rid of the samples or replace them with something else, but why not see what you're really going to get? So. Okay, maybe that's a good place to start. Maybe that's a good place to move it with actually um, talking about tech packs, really, and what kind of information they they 
what information they need to have and why they haven't changed for so long. Why are we still using the physical tech pack? Guy, would you like to add something on that? Yes, I imagine that at the end, it's also related to the, we're used to a certain way of working. The PLM is working in a certain way. It's very difficult to make changes and so on. But uh, I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, moving into a digital uh, tech pack that is tightly connected to the simulated uh, model is the key. I mean, in other industries, we are all sitting on chairs that are 3D modeled, that comments are coming uh, digitally uh, before even uh, a machine is starting to do any CNC. Uh, this has been like that from the late 90s. Um, at the end, we should get there uh, like that. There are certain platforms uh, that, uh, that can do it uh, like that. Uh, and if we take it to the to part of the subject of uh, today's uh, webinar, I think that the tech pack, including the information about the print pattern, the print placements, and all of that in a digital manner is, is the next uh, Really interesting and being able to share real-time data as well really. Erica, that was one of the things that you really liked about Corel, wasn't it? Being able to use, being able to share data in real time. Exactly, so we're all working on the same document. The factory have access to it, the design team, the technical team have access to it and everything can be kept updated um, and everybody can use the changes. Um, I think tech packs, in the fashion industry are done in so many different types of ways so you've got your here's a sample and some measurements <laughs> tech pack okay. you've got your hand sketches and annotations and no measurements tech packs um and then you've got your excel 20 page <laughs> workbook tech packs and then you've got a one page illustrator tech pack and then everything in between so there's so much and what you'll find is it depends who's doing the tech pack and their backgrounds, whether it's a designer, whether it's the garment tech, whether it's for the whole team. There's just a huge, huge sort of disparity in the quality, the amount of information. Is it too much, too little? And I'm sure you guys on the on the other side of receiving the tech packs have seen this yourselves. Um, and for, for years, it's it's been something that I've collected information on to try and figure out what is the best way to do a tech pack. And I think we're kind of at the stage where Guy is 100% right, that actually if this tech pack can be linked to the simulation and those changes made across everything, um, including the patterns, the, the, the actual um, clothing patterns, then it's, um, again, yeah, the way that it should be headed. Maybe we'll have a universe. We've <laughs> <laughs> become such a valuable resource though, doesn't it, when it becomes digital? It's there yeah. forevermore and it's safe, yeah. really, as well. Toby, how do you broach this subject working with your external clients? I, I was so worried you weren't going to ask me this question. So, I wasn't um, going <laughs> to. Okay. Uh, this, this was our nemesis um, in the industry. As Erica said, you know, we had designers that would come with their sketch on a paper napkin and we had a 10 page excel sheet so that's what i create dot fashion has done is really focused on 
because I come out of the manufacturing world, I need a certain amount of data. I need all the data necessary to manufacture the product. And it was never consistently given to us. It was never structured properly. So that's what we did was we developed a, a new tech pack. We call it a smart tech pack, which is both human readable and machine readable. And it, it helps, what iCreate does is help designers. It's totally agnostic to a software um, um, manufacturing, et cetera, but it, it helps designers and brands get their, in, their um, information organized in a certain way that is consistent and readable by machines. And, um, and I, I'll have a little bit of fun. When we went back to a lot of designers and brands, they all said, we want more control. We want control over everything. And when we first launched a year ago, the first product, uh, the, the, the kind of the resounding was, whoa, that's way too much control. Um, we go right down to a level where um, we asked what thread tension they want, what foot pressure they want, um, what stitches per inch they want, because we can now feed that electronically straight into the machines, which helps us on our um, 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 teaching new sewers how to sew, you know, that, that sort of tribal knowledge is, is hard to come by. And if we can automate that process, we can teach new sewers to get up to speed a lot faster. So, so that's what we did. And, and we're having a lot of fun with it. We, we jokingly say uh, most um, designers hate it and all the technical designers love it because it gives them the ultimate control and and a lot of the designers are you figure that out you you, you decide that for yourselves and uh we didn't want that we wanted them to have control so tech packs are often linked with how successful your production is <laughs> if you do not specify those details you get what you're given essentially right and it and it a huge amount of waste when you're mass producing as everyone has done um it, it causes so I'm, I'm a product developer i have done um factory quality checks i have been through that misery and pain <laughs> um and actually been able to specify every little detail and making sure that that is um that is taught to the machinist and monitored on the factory floor mm -hmm. I don't think you understand how much of a, um, a sigh of relief the industry of uh, production management <laughs> and product development—it's a huge, a huge, huge thing. A huge responsibility, isn't it? You know, being a designer right at the very beginning of the concept is a huge responsibility that often isn't actually acknowledged at all. Really, it really isn't. Guy, you must have had multiple, multiple. Um, multiple inst instances where um, the the information that was being received with the order wasn't correct for your for your software conversion too so we've uh, most uh, in most cases we work with micro factories in in different scenarios right there is the scenario where they basically provide the patterns and the designer is applying his design or her design on an existing garment uh, pattern and then uh, there are not many uh, mistakes uh, it's all automated and so on when it's working with uh, micro brands with brands and with uh, fashion designers uh, um, 
the, the pattern itself and the exchange of data is is there are no uh, real standards uh, here especially when you get to the to the side of uh, pattern designs and this is uh, a potential uh, uh, area for uh, misunderstandings and, and so on I think that the visualization is uh, is helping uh, a lot but of course when you get to the sewing and the materials and the accessories and and so on it's still a challenge it's, it's really really interesting i think um i think it's actually a good point to bring in our second poll actually sebastian could we do that sebastian is invisible to everybody that's watching this webinar but he's essential and he's in the back office <laughs> there we go how often do you update your design skills please select one of the following actively rarely or you find it difficult or you maybe you don't have time um so the answer might be never i think that will remain on our screens for about 30 seconds wow there we go again yeah no so people people answering rarely probably quite often because they're too busy um and actively 38% well done. They must be learning an awful lot at the moment. Um, I don't think we can learn fast enough at the moment. Things are changing so, so, so quickly. But rarely is, um, is, it's disappointing, isn't it, for all of us, and I'm sure it's disappointing for the people that have ticked that too, because they just don't perhaps have the resources to all the time to access new learning and to onboard, onboard new skills. Okay. Erica, could you pick up and give your conclusion from that poll, please? Yeah, so we see this all the time. In, even with people that get in touch with us, so design teams, we really want to upskill the whole team. We all want to learn how to do this quicker, this more effectively. Our clients want to see this type of visualization. How can we do this? How can we make it uh, quicker and easier for everybody? Okay, great. We can do this, this, and this. When can you sit down with us? When can you come to the design, the, the um, studio to learn? Or when can we set up a Zoom call? Okay, well, we're booked up until May. Um, so and so's on holiday then. We've got this design brief. We've got this design brief, and it's just, it's just a nightmare of diaries. We all go through it every day, don't we? Um, so that, on a basic level, that's a huge, huge thing. So the guys that do want to learn, um, and then we also have. The guys that are perhaps paying out of their own pocket whilst working for a yeah. band yeah. who come one-to-one -one sessions with us with the best intentions and all the will in the world to learn, they never get a chance to practice because they don't use those skills at their current job. But they need those skills to get the new job and really the company they're with could do with those them having those skills too but aren't going to pay for them to do the course. Um, so there's, there's so many factors that play into it um, and a lot of the time what I find we're on the other side of this we've got the people that are willing to but don't have time we've got the people that are it works how I do it I don't want to learn anything new <laughs> we get a lot okay. of that too so I've always done it this way 15 years it works so I'm happy leave me alone <laughs> it's essentially what can okay. happen and I sympathize with those guys too they've got enough on their plate it works would you would you agree, Erica? Sometimes people have a fear; they have a fear of onboarding new skills too, in case in case they don't quite grasp it as quickly as their peers. They don't want to stand out, so they don't enter the enter the room. Massively, so a, a, a huge proportion of our clients are people that have not grown up using computers. 
that maybe have spent the first 10, 15 years, 20 years in industry not using computers as part of their job. Now all of a sudden the pressure is on to learn this new, can be quite complicated skill. So the way we approach it is in a very, we're very aware of how people feel about learning when we teach, if that makes sense. We don't just go in with this is the software, this is how it works, this is this one. We've got a strategy on how we can give them the skills they need, but more importantly, the confidence to continue developing those skills themselves. Very, very important. And I know that Corel have a really active learning centre where you can onboard new skills and do tutorials, you know, access. Sometimes it's it's just so much easier, isn't it, just to watch a short video on something and upskill. But it's always, I always find as a designer, in a practical format, always works best, doesn't it? When you actually need to learn how to do something, you onboard it creatively. Kirby, what would your your take be on that poll? Um, boy, it's it's such a tough one. I, I have trouble managing time, so I'm great empathy for people, time yes. and cost. Um, yeah. I Debbie, I couldn't agree with more that short video clips are the way to go to learn something these days. That um, um, if you can't get hold of a, a an instructor one on one, but it's tough and it is changing so fast. I mean, I I can't keep up with my IT team on how they communicate because one day it's Slack and then the next day it's something else and then something else. So, in the design world, it's just as complicated. But um, but it is so exciting where it's going, and we haven't even it started is. to get into the digital print side, which is going to add a whole new element to to all of it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from the digital side of printing side offers designers, whether they are product designers or print designers, some incredible opportunities, yeah. massive, huge, huge opportunities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Guy, what did you think about the about the poll? How do you think we can improve? How do you think we can accelerate learning? How do you think we can encourage more people to, um, to to try and onboard new skills so that we can act, because at the end of the day, we the only way to accelerate the growth and the, of the fashion industry towards sustainable footing is if we adapt the technologies that we're talking about today. And if we move towards automation, we eliminate waste. But to do that, we've got to design smart. You can't design smart if you don't start right at the very beginning using the most up-to-date software to do so. Yeah, so with regards to the poll, I think that, uh, that there is something challenging in the question, right? Because when you are saying design, sometimes people uh, inc uh, interpret that as doing the print design like on my shirt versus uh -huh. doing the design of the pattern. And so over the past, uh, you know, six uh, years or so, uh, some brands wanted to take their existing fashion designers from the very, very early stages of the design, of the ideation of the of the collection into the 3D world and had some serious challenges. And sometimes you need to realize that the resource is a creative resource that doesn't want to deal with sewing, even if it's sewing digitally, right, and, and building the pattern, and they want to, to use their creative skills to create. So I think that this balance is getting better uh, nowadays young talent comes out of uh, uh, universities with skills around 3D. And in my eyes, getting the 3D closer to, to the designers is, is what I would focus on. I will not try to make a designer a pattern maker. 
and uh, and uh, uh, avoid those uh, conflicts that make them um, frustrated, right? That they want to create uh, a dress and it doesn't look good, but this is because of lack of skills in uh, pattern making, skills that they should not have because this is not their job description. Um, so that from uh, one hand, of course, we want the software companies to create uh, the, the, the magic uh, that moving from a sketch to a real garment uh, in, uh, in seconds, but it's not there uh, yet. Um, from the design side of things, uh, I think that once you have the, the 3D um, uh, and you have it digitally, you can give the designers very, very powerful uh, tools, tools that they could not have before uh, in terms of adjusting the, the, the pattern over the real design and getting 100% close to the final result that the printer will uh, print are things that were not in the hands of the designers, uh, really. Um, so that's the, the, the other point that I wanted to make. And continuing the point of uh, that Erica mentioned about uh, Corel, and especially that there is, you know, some people say consumers cannot design themselves. And I agree for some of the consumers, I disagree that as a general statement, but the ability for a consumer or an ideation person to work with another person on a session in Corel, and they basically uh, uh, can see each other work and the guy says, oh, I want the logo here, I want the pattern to uh, meet at this and that point, and they see it live and with the 3D simulation uh, uh, that, uh, that is available today to see together how it looks at the, at the end of the day, this, uh, this is opening a lot of uh, tools for the designer to get with a desired uh, result. That's so important for when we start to talk about um, nearshore and pro close proximity production as well, isn't it? It's, it's so important that you can have those engaged conversations using the right information in real time, because you can be designing in London, but the customer is it's going to be sewn and manufactured in Arizona with Kirby, you know, mm. it, and it's so, so, so important, really, really is. I think this is a really interesting point. Before we just move on to talk about customised fashion and on-demand manufacturing, it'd be interesting to see how many people um, are actually and how they are actually creating their tech packs right now. Um, it'd be interesting to see how much digital knowledge and digital information is in there. So, Sebastian, if you wouldn't mind, Invisible Sebastian, would you mind? There we go. So, how are you currently creating your tech packs? Is that manual, hybrid, or digital? To be a very, very, very interesting results here, I hope. And that will be on your screens probably for about another 20, 25 seconds. Let's see how that goes. Thank you so much, by the way. Had fantastic responses to the poll. So that's really good of you. Thank you so much. Kirby, would you like to give your take on that poll before we move on to talk about fashion on demand? Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I'm delighted to see the digital yeah. so high and the hybrid so high. Um, I'm I'm delighted at that. So I, I, that's very interesting. And you know, over the next few years, it's going to get more and more to the digital side. So, yeah. Well, that's great. That that should mean that lots of our audience have a real interest in our next question then as well too, which is which is really good. So, guys, you know, we have some fantastic knowledge in the room here. Um, 
can we manufacture customized fashion on demand? Now, I'm not talking here necessarily about one skew. Guy and I have had this conversation before. Sometimes customization is, is relates to a large brand working in a very fast, reactive, customized format as it does for a single user and a single SKU. So Kirby, could you give us your insight really? How are you currently manufacturing fashion on demand? What skills are you using? What, soft, what kind of software suites do you need? How do you need your information to flow? And how do you actually do it? Yeah, so it's a pretty big question. Um, Sorry. The, no, that's <laughs> fine. Um, we, on the iCreate side, we're absolutely agnostic, uh, whether you use Corel or whether you use a Gerber product or a, um, any of the, the great products that are out there. Um, that doesn't matter to us. In the end, how the file format comes to us is what counts. And as I've said many times, it's got to be structured data. Um, I think the 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 idea and the ability to um, to manipulate our garments is there and and is is doable today. I mean, all of our our key customers um, have highly customizable one-off garments, and um, they've found great results. In the return rates are very very minimal if a person's had some sort of involvement in either picking their size or their pocket placement or their hem length or whatever. Um, so how do we do it? Um, wow, um, that's a long question. Um, so everything's automated is the, the bottom line. And we've written our own software to do that. So it's it flows. I, I, I get uh, laughed at by my staff all the time. I talk about 333 and what I mean by 333 is that uh, it took three months to do it. Now we've got it down to three days. Now we've got to get it down to three minutes. And um, when I say three minutes, wow. that is from the time that the designer and the technical designer have signed off on the product and say, yes, it's ready for manufacturing. I think it should be up on Amazon and Nordstrom's and all those places um, and to the manufacturer that's going to manufacture it and ready to be uh, purchased online in three minutes. And that's that's been our goal all along. And, and then the manufacturing side, um, we believe that by the start of Q4 this year, we will be down to um, 24 hours to shipping. So, and and capable of six dresses a minute is what we're capable wow. of. Wow, so, that's yeah. amazing. Congratulations, yeah, so. that's that's an incredible achievement. That's absolutely amazing. It's really, really good. Guy, you've, you've implemented your software into a lot of smart manufacturing hubs that are now seeing great success and are building scale, aren't they? What, what, what has their experience been? Yeah, so I think that there is a difference between uh, a big brand manufacturing on demand, uh, responding to the, to the demand uh, in their uh, online uh, shop or in their physical uh, shops versus a micro factory that might be serving them, by the way, or having their own uh, brand and serving uh, uh, external uh, parties. So yes, our customers are all about on demand. Um, none of them are manufacturing for uh, inventory, not theirs and not their uh, customers. And uh, uh, basically, 
you know, going back to the question of how this is being done, it's built from uh, multiple uh, layers. First of all, creating the, the, the garments uh, or the pipeline to acquire the garments uh, digitally, uh, validating uh, it, then the ability to respond to the on-demand in a in a, a timely fashion, meaning that you don't work one by one, uh, the system will gather the orders and then nest them and prepare them and split them by fabric in an automated manner so the printer can uh, 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 immediately uh, print it. And, uh, and the, the platform, how do you do that when you work multi-channel? Most, uh, most of the micro factories that we work with have their own uh, web shop, but they are working with micro brands and with fashion designers and with uh, influencers, and so you need to be to put your hands uh, around all these different uh, channels so that in the morning when the operators uh, uh, come to work, the file is already re ready to be printed, and you are not waiting for somebody to create. Uh, uh, the file to the rip and to the rip to rip the software and to the operator to put the, the, the right fabric on the machine. So all of that needs to be optimized and, uh, and, um, and prepared ahead of uh, the, the relevant shift. And this is what we do at their division, basically. That's fantastic, isn't it? You do a lot of batch production too, don't you? So your software is automatically moving it over to the right batch for the right substrate. Uh, across the across the manufacturing workflow, and I'm sure Kirby, you're doing exactly the same thing. So there's no waste of time, there's no waste of energy, project process, um, and we're being as efficient as we can with both inks and ink technology and material waste after cutting. Actually, mm. definitely. Okay, Erica, um, a quick question for you. I think well, I, you know, it always amazes me. I've, when we begin these webinars, I always think, goodness, an hour, it's going to be a long time. And then suddenly you look at the clock and it's gone tick-tock and we're running out of time already. So, Erica, um, what would you say are the most important tools and skills that designers out there need to onboard if they're going to stay current? Um, are they going to bring something to the current working environment or they're looking for, you know, for new employment or they're looking to go freelance? There are so many opportunities. What, what do they need to onboard? As a designer, it's all about visualisation. It always has been. People have yeah. been doing it by hand with pro markers and gouache <laughs> for years. Yeah. I think we kind of lost it for a while as people transition transition into um, Illustrator. They became stick figures instead of beautiful illustrations and things like that. But I think by ensuring that you're keeping up to date with how to use the software that you choose to use, whether it is 2D, um, and making sure that you're always pushing the quality of the visualization and not just saying, well, it's in Illustrator, it has a print in, surely you get the gist. Does that make sense? Actually making yep. it as the, um, the real thing. And then obviously now it's that jump to it looking realistic in 3D and also being linked to that pattern and fit technology. Um, so I know now working in the universities, everybody is do you know can you teach Chloe 3d can anyone teach Chloe 3d we need to teach oh, these really they all want to um, get into the metaverse yeah obviously well Chloe 3d again it's so you've got your 3d software that's not linked to the fit and the the, the yep. clothing pattern and you've got optitex lectris has started years ago gerber started years ago but 
as Guy will know, it's only recently that, that the, the, the fabric technology um, and how realistic it looks has, has it's now become relevant because it is good enough now, it's excellent now. So I think um, going forward, it's that 3D uh, design development together. It's those skills. Yes. And as I said earlier, it's really interesting how it's kind of forcing people to become this pattern cutter, designer, CAD person, um, super technical, <laughs> um, software ready. It's kind of like we're not ready for what the software can do yet and it's about figuring out how many what roles there are within this new 3d environment where you might fit and how they then work with the team is something that i think even the companies that are adopting this 3d software are trying to figure out themselves at the moment so it's really interesting to see how it's all sort of how everyone's sort of finding their so you'd advise people to take it one step at a time, really, follow your instincts and choose your chosen path, things that interest you, and find your own community. Exactly. Um, and it's about accessibility as well. So we don't all have access to the 3D software or we don't all, all we can't all just jump in and have a go. We're not all at that level. So visualization, keep concentrating on visualization and just improve all of the time. Um, in order to sell your design in the best way to whether it's clients, whether it's customer facing. So I know a company that uses, still uses Photoshop to do 3D manipulations of garments and they sell their designs on pre-order, then they produce. And they haven't made a garment, it's just the, the, the Photoshop yeah. amalgamation. This was way before 3D obviously came along. I think it always you know, it all as human beings, instinctively, it always comes back to presentation, doesn't it? It really does. It does. And, and at the moment, I think um, one of the biggest things is that we have to really ensure that 3D and visualization is as realistic and as close to the final, the digital twin is as close to the production, at the end production, the output, input matches output. If we don't manufacture that, it doesn't matter how clever we're being, we're still going to manufacture waste. And it's, I think it's, it's so, so important to, for the design community to realise how empowered they now are right at the very beginning of the process, because that whole design fashion team, they, you know, they're creating the blocks, they're creating the styles, they're sourcing the materials and choosing the right fabrics. And then, you know, we need to start asking questions about how this is being printed, which technologies are being utilised to do that. And, how efficient is, is, is the carbon? How waterless is the technology? How much energy is being used? All of these questions kind of roll back round to the designer right at the very beginning, who I think is becoming very, very, very powerful in all of this. Um, but in order to do it, we have to stay current and we have to stay abreast with, with modern technologies and modern software. Um, and it's really, really important that we all keep, all of us, never, you never stop learning, do you, Kirby? Have you ever stopped learning every day? I hope not. <laughs> it's, no, it's life would be so boring. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Guy, what advice would you give a designer who's really interested in smart production and smart manufacturing? So I think, and, and again, the difference between big companies and small companies, and you know, small and medium companies. A designer today, I think. Uh, grasping the usage of 3D, not necessarily the creation of 3D, although I would like to see, you know, all the designers working in, the, in creating 3D, but leveraging the 3D that is created uh, for them uh, 
understanding color, because today with the, with the digital manufacturing pipelines, and especially if you want to work local to local, distributed and, and, and manufactured close to the, to the consumer, uh, someone in the organization has to understand color. And in my feeling, you know, the designer, there is a good chance that uh, they will grasp it uh, uh, pretty uh, well. Um, so I, I think that also the other thing that we've seen in the past and we see less, especially in the small to medium uh, companies, is the awareness of grading. So it used to be that yes. the designer doesn't care, right? I'm working on the base size, let somebody else deal with the, with the grading and especially with print and with uh, engineered placements and, and so on. Uh, the designer is getting closer and he has the tool or she has the tools to control exactly how every size uh, looks like. And uh, in the beginning, when we started uh, uh, to work with this type of customers, it was challenging, but we see that definitely uh, changing uh, over the past uh, few uh, months, the awareness that it's in my hands, I can actually control that. Fabulous, it's fabulous. Kirby, I'm just gonna come back to you briefly. We've got another three minutes, three or four minutes possibly. Kirby, how do we design a better future for fashion? How do we how do we accelerate it? What if you could in a quick summary, how do we make this process go faster? Um, one word: communication. Uh, just okay. getting the right minds into the right room to discuss better ways to do things. So communicate, communicate, communicate. Okay, Guy, would you like to come back to that point as well? If you could summarize how we can how we can improve the fashion industry, how we can design better, design smarter and create efficient and manufacture efficiently. Yeah, so it goes without saying move to uh, on demand, which is, you know, most of the yep. brands don't work like that uh, yet. Uh, I think that local to local is, is very important, especially from the sustainability side of things. And this requires skill sets and especially when it comes to the quality of sewing, the color matching, and things of that uh, nature. I think that the area that is getting better, we are touching it uh, a little bit. There are startups that are touching it uh, much deeper than we do. Is the is the uh, made to measure, but but the on demand fitting of the garment to the to the person. And uh, there are more complex scenarios. There are uh, more straightforward uh, scenarios. But this is something that I'm sure that uh, will uh, will evolve in the next uh, few uh, years. And uh, design by AI is definitely going to make a, a difference. I don't know to say if this will be you know mainly streetwear and stuff like that, but I feel that it will be uh, in, in other uh, uh, areas uh, as well. Uh, that the design is very rich and it's not based on a designer sitting and giving building the pattern, but but uh, AI uh, algorithms that are creating the, those variations. No, it's great. That's a great summary. Erica, do you have anything to add to that? How can we how can we make things faster? Um, I think in terms of not necessarily making things faster. I think what the solutions that Kirby and Guy propose, in my experience, would make developing a range for a, a startup brand, which I've done many times, reduce yeah. the time from over a year, maybe, to <laughs> a lot yeah. easier, um, a lot less headache to manage. Um, so 
it's it's obviously going to be a, a huge, huge, huge change going forward, adopting that method. And I think what Kirby said was, before I started to speak to you, Debbie, and see the content that you share and start reading the things you share, I had no idea that sort of stuff existed yet. So it, it's that communication. And, and yeah. we're notorious. We coexist. We rely on each other, but we don't really have good chats unless it's about something going wrong in production <laughs> so that communication um, and then also just from a sustainability point of view and just going forward in the future designing for longevity quality um i think on demand is great if you want to be a bit a little bit more trend-led because we're not getting a thousand neon shirts that are going to end up on the sale rail you can just try two or three yep. or 15 to the people that love it um but just making sure that 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 quality because it's so easy to do with you guys that the designers are still considering that quality and longevity of the product okay that's great great summaries from all three of you i think i 100 percent hand on heart agree we need to collaborate we need to communicate and we need to trust our fellow stakeholders and make stronger partnerships don't we we need to have more transparency more honesty and more integrity in our supply chains um, and our business business stakeholders and our partners. Um, and I think, you know, I think for designers out there, we have to be braver too. I think we have to stand up. We have to realize that we are very powerful and that we can change the future collectively. Every single person in the supply chain is of equal importance. We can all change everything if we all work together and move forward to, to form a, a more circular manufacturing route that's smart. So that's all that... We're bang on five o'clock here in the UK. I think, unfortunately, we could carry on talking forever. And I think there may very well be further opportunities for us to deep dive deep into each of those sectors. And so sorry, Kirby, to give you such a huge question. You did a, it's a fantastic answer, though. <laughs> thank you. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely to have you all in the room. I thank you to all of the guests, everybody, and all of the participants, everybody that, that joined us. And thank you so much for your answers to the polls, which were, you know, that's the information we need to hear too. And it's all it's all part of the conversation and we're all equal. You have equal power in that conversation too. So thank you so much. That's it for today. Um, I'm sure that you will get a rewind notification via email for this webinar if there's anything you want to jump back to or if there's anything that you want to ask a question for for any of our experts today please do send those questions through via email and we will make sure to connect you to the experts so that you can dive deeper and we thank you so much thank you guys thank you debbie thank you goodbye